Hello, dear friends, and welcome to This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life, episode six with Bean Nunnerly. It is a hell of fun. However, I need to insert a content warning here because Bean and I get into some heavier topics like suicidal ideation and a suicide attempt. So if you are at a fragile or tender place in your mental health, well, who isn't? But, you know, if this sort of thing could be quite triggering for you, please either take care while listening or don't listen. And another option is I have included timestamps of the more challenging sections in the show notes. So you can just check those out and then just like maybe set a timer on your phone and skip those parts so that you can still enjoy the rest of the episode. This is your strange and beautiful life is created for love, joy, and entertainment purposes. It is not intended as medical advice. Okay, please do not use this podcast or any other podcast to diagnose yourself with ADHD or any other mental health issue. Uh, Please also do not follow our meditation advice in this episode it's really bad. So otherwise, just enjoy the show. If you're enjoying This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life, please follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google and tell your friends all about it. Okay, well, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, love you. Bye. I think probably the first little bit after, I guess, a healing crisis or like, you know, a big breakdown, it's going to be tender and difficult, but it's sort of. Yeah, well, you finally have the guts to say the hard things and Mm -hmm. do the hard things and sit with yourself and see yourself. When I look back at my journals from when I was younger, I was always like, there's something I'm hiding from. There's something I'm running from. What is it? And it was me. Yeah. And I, I didn't have the the patience or the courage to face myself I for some reason I thought it was really scary and you find it scary now yeah I'm fine yeah I can't believe I was so scared (laughs) so silly this is your strange and beautiful life hi everybody and welcome to this is your strange and beautiful life My name is Erica J. Schmidt, and on my podcast, I talk to people who may or may not have had the chance to transform their lives into spectacular TED Talks. And today, I have a guest. Her name is Bean Nunnerly. Uh, Bean is an artist, massage therapist, friend, maker, mother, swimmer, community builder, and longtime singer in the Montreal Women's Choir. Maha. Maha. Kar Maha. Kar Maha. Okay. My French accent is not excellent, <laughs> but the choir is excellent. And here was what you need to know about Bean. She was born in Wales, and her strange and beautiful life has taken her across the ocean to L.A., Colorado, back and forth between Europe and the States, and finally to Quebec, where she decided to raise a family. These days she lives by a lake north of Montreal where she divides her time between her beautiful mainland and island homes that you built 
Well, yeah. I mean, not from scratch, but gutted and yeah, like re- to the this. What do you call it? Studs, like yeah, basically yeah, yeah, to the bones, to the bones, and yeah. then back together. And recently, Bean has taken up painting, a perfect complement to her new era of radical self care and healing. She is also deeply devoted to thriving within her relationships, including those with her friends, partner, and two grown children, and most importantly, her charming husky. <laughs> Menu. Yes. So, Bean, thank you for coming. Welcome to it's the my show. Pleasure. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Yeah. So, the first thing is like, usually our listeners are really fascinated by how we met. So, uh, we should tell them how we okay. met. Fair. Uh, we met on your island. You, you came along for a birthday weekend. And I got a boat ride across the island with your dog. Manu, the husky, who couldn't come today, but I love her, and gave her a bunch of treats, and we fell in love, and yeah, the island is just so beautiful. So you got this island, right? And then there was a place, there was like a cottage there already, or? Yeah, it was really run down. Um, Actually, I found it by Googling island for sale. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in Quebec and there was about four islands for sale and one of them was Celine Dion's island that was like 25 million bucks only 25 million <laughs> I know with the like what a chateau deal. it was yeah. hilarious and then this one was the cheapest island okay. for sale and um I haggled I haggled the guy I actually got it half price but it was right across from where you lived already no, oh no no no, no, no. no. okay no, no. okay and then yeah. you ended up getting that other property yeah, okay exactly These people don't always want to buy islands because well i mean it's a very difficult life right. in some circumstances like that there's no convenience of, right you can't put your car in the garage mm-hmm. and you know walk in the door if there's a thunderstorm you have to sit and wait for the thunder to pass before you can cross or there's also two months a year where you can't leave or stay you can do one or the other but like when the lake is melting and when the lake is freezing I have no access right so you like get there in November weekend and then you have to stay until Christmas but you don't do that I haven't done that yet because of my husky right I feel like that's a big ask for her and oh, if yeah. she took off on thin ice and I couldn't follow her, no. that would just be the end of the world. So no. we tend to stay in Montreal. Or, well, quite frankly, November and April are really great times to not be in Quebec. Yeah, they're kind of the <laughs> so, worst months. They are. Like so it's months. it's perfect to go home to Britain or okay. head south or go somewhere and do something else. Okay. And then you can also think of like, you know, the fire brigade can't get to me. The, poli- mm-hmm. the police can't get to me. Right. I have a certain distance from the world, even though the world is nearby. It's, uh, yeah, you got to be like, careful. Yeah. I don't use my chainsaw when I'm alone. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I have rules, you know, right. like I don't climb high up ladders when right. I'm alone. I, there's certain things that I have to be not ADHD about. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we want to talk about ADHD. We want to talk about all kinds of things. But I guess the reason I thought like Bean could be really good on a podcast, well, is because, well, there was one line in particular where we were just, it was like a heart sharing weekend where everyone's like, you know, over, over Oversharing. sharing. Yeah. <laughs> the f- four ladies and everybody is just talking about their lives, strange and beautiful as they are. And people were talking about boundaries, which is like kind of a buzzword. Everybody is like, you know, all problems seem to stem from right. bad boundaries these days, according to Instagram. 
And Bean was said, uh, would you say, yeah, what color are yours? What color? <laughs> what color are your boundaries? Yeah, like can you paint them? So yeah, how how are boundaries like working out for you? And like, what what can you tell us about boundaries? Do you oh, know what color boundaries are? I like, mean, boundaries are a very new concept to me. When right. I first came across them, I found them very offensive, and <laughs> I was, you know not understanding at all why people would say no or have limits. I just, it was a turn off. And then once that hit me a few times, I started to reflect on that and read a lot and learning that that's a reaction from a deep childhood neglect Mm -hmm. really responded with me because I wasn't ever given an opportunity to have any. Right. I have a very interesting mother who had a lot of needs. I had to be an intense people pleaser to feel safe. And so boundaries were just never a question because I had to be so amazing and so available in order to feel safe. Boundaries just freaked me the hell out. Right. And so like if you don't get to have boundaries and other people do, it's like super irritating. (laughs) It is super irritating. And it's like, because it yeah. doesn't go both ways. It it's doesn't. Like, you know. It doesn't. And and uh, took me a really long time to start understanding people's limits and then getting to my own. Oh, my goodness. It took so long and I'm still wobbly. Like, you know, um, growing up with severe neurodivergence and being really awkward socially and annoying and irritating to the world, you have to learn to be so available. Right. To be loved, to have any kind of tolerance that's how it felt for you me. felt for other people to tolerate yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Had to I over... had to be amazing and yeah. uber great. That's not stressful. <laughs> just just a breeze, right? You know, do. <laughs> no yeah. legwork there. No, I mean, I remember as a little one just having fantasies of like, fantasies of nightmares of being like kidnapped or taken. And I would just like strategize how to be great. Like you wanted to be? No, that that, like how I would survive. Right. And it was like this, I would think up strategies of how to be great and how to like join in and be like, I'm on your team. Amazing. Let me help you. So I can reflect on that as a little girl saying like, okay, you were trying really hard to like make the world love you. you. Love me. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, we're definitely going to talk more about making the world love you. I mean, the world does love you, but yeah, we definitely want to... I did good. Yeah. (laughs) She has lots of friends that we're definitely going to talk more about, yeah, boundaries, mental health. But also, you have a strange and beautiful love story with your partner. Is he your husband? No. Okay, right. He's a babe, though. He Um, is. You're both babes. Um, Thank you. And so... I mean, people love love stories. So how how did your love story happen? Okay. Well, I have to say, I mean, I just want to be clear, like a love story might give this woo-woo feeling Mm -hmm. of great and sweetness and luck. And we worked really, really hard. Yeah. And we're really strange. And it wasn't simple. But for some reason, we never gave up on each other. Right. Or rarely. (laughs) Not for long. Um, Yeah, I... uh, I actually came to the conclusion um, that I was not going to have a partner and I couldn't do that and I wasn't lovable enough, unfortunately. At what age was this? In my early 20s. I'd say I was about 22. I was like, you know what? 
this isn't I can't do that stuff I'm too weird right and um I met this really hot man who didn't speak English he was Quebecois oh I miss that yeah yeah and I knew a few words in French growing up in Britain Mm -hmm. we learned French so I was his sort of ally and there was intense chemistry and um I actually was leaving to go on a road trip and live in my pickup truck for okay. months and months alone in the woods. I mm-hmm. was on my way and he he joined me for the first few weeks. Oh. Yeah. And we had a lot go? of fun. That was really <laughs> cute that I left him in San Francisco like, right. thank you, bye. Off I went. Right. But he kind of hung around in my psyche. Right. Just too delicious. He was a total fuck boy, but... The Not lang- my type at all, but it was funny. The language barrier kind of helps it did, with the mystery. Exactly. I didn't get like, to know him very much. Well, slowly, right? right. I feel like it, it adds yeah. at least like, I don't know, it must add at least six days to yeah. any kind of relationship You're right. before things crumble you're like well yeah we got to we got to work on the chemistry not right not the intellect <laughs> and then uh basically I came back from my trip and fell pregnant with him mm. really quickly not knowing I was pregnant right I moved to Colorado and uh I found out there that I was pregnant and had a really very deep connection. There was no way I was having an abortion. This mm-hmm. was like, I was ready. I always wanted to be, you know, this oh, yeah, like hippie mummy living ask, in the yeah. woods with a teepee and, you know, just doing it my own way. And I thought, oh, this is great. Okay, I've got this all set up for me. And right. then I had this dream about four weeks into my pregnancy. There was this little girl dark brown hair running around and she went into this back room in our cabin and she opened a trap door and all these letters came pouring out it's such a vivid dream I remember it perfectly Mm -hmm. and she frantically opened all the letters and went mama 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 I do have a dad oh and I woke up going oh well this is lesson number one this isn't about me (laughs) right there's another person (laughs) that might have something to say oh okay only gonna be a blob for a short time right and you know I was 23 Mm -hmm. so I you know I didn't have a huge concept of sharing or doing anything for anyone else (laughs) just developing my own adult life and so I called him Mm -hmm. and uh, he was not pleased no, because no, he was no, like no. 23 also. Right? Well, he was 26, but okay. he was not ready for this. That was not his plan. No. Yeah. And so, you know, it was a difficult conversation. Uh-huh. I believe he actually passed out when I first told him. Oh, no. <laughs> and he, <laughs> he called me back, like, wobbly. American right. health care either. No, no. <laughs> like... and, um, and then he, you know, I was like, there's no commitment. I just need, you know, your mom's number for mm-hmm. when she wants to meet you one day. Right. And he was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I have morals and I'm going to be involved in my child's life. And I was like, whoa, okay. Wasn't ready for that. (laughs) Very unexpected. And we've been together 25 years. Right. And we have two kids and and yeah, it's been difficult. We've had to work through a lot of resentment, a lot of of challenges. Uh, We strangely have very similar difficult family dynamics you know the, right. the, that weirdness of attraction comes together yeah, it to does. work and out your wounds yeah, exactly and so but we've been this team and both of us need an awful lot of space both of us don't ever have that like codependent kind of style mm-hmm. and so it worked because I could just leave for six months or go and do what I needed to do and I had all the space to be my strange self 
Right. And I didn't have this person being like, where are you? What are you doing? Because uh, I can't. Yeah, yeah. And, and strangely, nor can he. So right. there was these all these like we went traveling for the first time together with the two kids. Like we barely knew each other. <laughs> it was wild. And realized we both loved to travel the same way. And it blew oh. our minds because we both kind of like just don't make any plans. We buy one way ticket and we just walk off the plane and just head out somewhere. Yeah. And if you can travel with somebody, like, I don't know. It's a, it's yeah. a something. It's yeah. a connection. It's a complicity yeah. that you wouldn't normally have. And that was pretty remarkable. I think that was the point where we kind of looked at each other and went, oh, my goodness. Maybe this is something. This is actually going to work. Yeah, I had an ex-boyfriend and he always said that relationships were kind of like context. It's like how many contexts can you be content together with? Mm -hmm. And so like mm -hmm. traveling is one, like family dinners is another. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like to yeah. avoid family dinners as much as possible. <laughs> but like, you know, Sunday afternoons, I think a lot of people found that in the context of the pandemic that their partners were not, <laughs> there was more context than they were prepared for. Right. So, But yeah, traveling is important. Like how many relationships have sort of tanked after the I've first had, trip? I've uh, several. Yeah. And, and just so depressed when you're on the trip and they yeah. just want to walk around the same town yeah. and go to a different restaurant and just shoot me. Yeah. You know, I'm like, no way. I want to wander off and get lost and yeah. discover things. And I don't need to be in touristic areas. In fact, I despise them. Yeah, you know, I can't do the noise. Yeah. I can't do the case. And then we, we ended up, you know, actually working together. We bought a building together and mm -hmm. started renovating together. And we've, you know, we just keep going. We're just the There's best team. Context. Yeah. yeah. And we, it's been hard work. It's the hardest work. Yeah. What does hard work mean, though? Because, like, everybody on Instagram, they'll be like, this guy. And then they'll have, like, a million photos. And then mm -hmm. they'll be like, but it's been so hard. But then you look at the photos and it's like, doesn't look that hard. looks pretty right. good, right? So, like... Yeah, what does hard work look like? Well, I think hard work looks like one of the things I've learned massively is that a lot of times we are living in a house of mirrors. Mm -hmm. And so we project. Yeah. And you can project for years and years and years without confronting that <laughs> and build up all sorts of stories, resentment and confronting yourself can take forever to come to terms with, let alone realize um, even... Also learning to see someone as they are and actually acknowledge yeah. them as them, not your projection, not your concept, what you think is wrong. Those things are really hard. They're really hard work. To take responsibility for your mirror mm -hmm. sucks. <laughs> it's unpleasant. It's painful. And then also like parenting with someone. Ugh, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> Ugh, is right because it's so important and it's so personal and half the time you're not even agreeing with what you want to do but it's sort of in your dna you know it's like and so also like raising children with someone from a different culture mm -hmm. is actually quite complicated because you have your way of doing things that you were taught they're in your body and then you have to turn around and be like confronted with their yeah. version and it's it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys didn't no. really get a chance to discuss this we before didn't. the baby we came. Didn't. We had like, no discussions. Yeah. It was we, but we. I mean, you didn't even speak the same language. No. <laughs> so. But I mean, we've made a lifetime of winging it. Yeah. That's the funny part. Like we're both neurodivergent. Yeah. And we don't follow any rules. Like we've never had a permit 
for any of the building work we've done. Okay, <laughs> I won't tell close anybody. Close the curtains that and get on with it. might go yeah. viral, but there's a chance. <laughs> it's too late now. Yeah. They can't prove anything. Right. Um, we've never we've never followed any rules, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of been the theme of our story. But that's where the hard work lies. Is just self. Uh, what is it? Accountability. Right. And that that's the 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 one way love i guess is i think it's such a cheesy word but the choice to stay and face yourself mm-hmm. and work through it instead of you know leaving and 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 trying again with someone maybe else the, maybe the projection will work better next yeah, time like, oh yeah <laughs> it's i've got this guy and he sucks and he's just such a jerk and it's like well actually you know a lot of people behave that way in a relationship and it's just who you choose to do the work with yeah, people do behave pretty badly we do. in relationships. We I do. always feel it's like my worst self. It's I've sort uh-huh. of avoided being in a relationship because exactly. I'm like, this is not fun for anybody, yeah. right? But I guess... It's like these versions of ourselves that get comfortable and then you have to confront that and behave yourself. And like, it's not easy. I think it's... I don't think it's any easy... I don't think there's an easy way of being a person. <laughs> yeah. Being in a relationship or being in hundreds of them or being in none, it's all bloody hard but I wish we'd stop thinking that like having a long-term partner is just so great and then you're so lucky and you're gonna post yeah (laughs) I think I think there's like pros and cons to everything I mean it's like the polyamorous people can be a bit smug but I think that they also struggle I think everybody you know everyone's long-term singleness like I can be very smug about being Mm -hmm. long-term single but it's not such a perfect world no, like you have no. very sad days so yeah the problem of being a person that's that's real oh yeah and I wanted to talk about your real estate so you've done lots of renovations with yep. your partner but didn't it I heard that it started like you bought like a patch of land on the side of the road or something like, I did I I started I it cost me 12,000 bucks right and it was in the townships in near Knowlton. Okay. And it was three acres. It was a bog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there was a one dry patch. And so what I did was I started having camping weekends with my mates from Montreal. Right. And I would provide food and beer. And we'd all go down and slowly by hand clear out the forest. And we hand dug a creek. And it became super cute. It took two years. Mm-hmm. I flipped the land and I also built like this very funny looking shed and put in a driveway and sold it. Yeah. Two years later for 32 grand. That's, that's, you know, profits. That's profits. Yeah. I mean, I didn't spend that much on beer. Right. <laughs> and uh, it was a great project and it gave me the confidence. I mean, I was so scared to buy it mm-hmm. and I was so, you know, it, it gave me the confidence to to understand that this is something you have to put your feet in and give it a try. And then Francois and I decided to buy our building where we were renting in the plateau, which was very scary. Right. We had to pull so many strings to make it happen because we don't have any parents who can co-sign right. or yeah. anything like that. So we actually, our landlord co-signed for us. Oh, that's so yeah, nice. Yeah, what he did was he gave us a private loan for the cash down. And then Francois luckily got hired at Ubisoft. Okay. So the bank was like, sure. Right, right. <laughs> 
we pulled it off. Yeah. And we thought we were so crazy and it was so scary and, and uh, it worked. But you just sort of did one project at a time. Like mm-hmm. you'd never done that before, but nope. you're like, okay, we have to drain this. So yeah. then I got to figure out how to drain a swamp now yeah. and then yeah. like build walls or whatever. Exactly. Each thing was just like one thing at a time. Um, a week after we bought the building in Montreal, I bought myself a sledgehammer <laughs> and I walked into one room and I just started at the wall and Francois was like what the hell are you doing and I said I'm doing it get a hammer let's go and we just went for it and we just gutted one room and then we just started learning how to 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 build I mean he'd done some building before in his past so and he's he's got an engineering brain he's he's an engineer but computers but still he you know he's really into straight lines and level walls which helps when you build right and you're yeah. like yeah I can tear this apart <laughs> and no I problem. Can, yeah so I was just the, like the instigator I would just start things and he'd have to help me finish them yeah right <laughs> oh yeah that's sort of I heard that was sort of an ADHD thing sometimes that mm-hmm. you're like okay I'm gonna open all the closets yeah. and I need to re yeah. do everything and then somebody else might have to <laughs> yes you know I, I sometimes I go around the house and I make myself commit to finishing one thing that I started 10 years ago yeah and I go around but the cottage was very organized. There were like these mm-hmm. drawers with, you know, matches, condoms. Like it was all very, <laughs> it was all very meticulous. Yeah. But I guess it, it takes some time. It, days, it does, yeah. it does. Yeah. yeah. And maybe if you open the drawers, you'll see that it's not just matches right. in that particular it's drawer. Like matches-ish. Like <laughs> scissors. <laughs> a few condoms. <laughs> a light bulb. Yeah. My like. mom's drawers are my favorite drawers to open. There's so many things in her drawers, right. like childhood knickknacks, things from 200 years ago, oh, I love chocolate bars, yeah, right. socks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very impressive. And now you have like quite a few properties. We have three. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's enough. That's, that's enough. Yeah. yeah. That's I'm, uh, I'm one of those humans that really believes in like doing some capitalism, but tapping out as soon as you can make ends meet. Right. Like I don't. Thing. You don't want an empire. No, I think that's yeah. disgusting. And exhausting. And hoardery and weird. Yeah. Like yeah. once you have to hire too many people to get your no. shit done. No, it's like, I don't want to hire anyone. Yeah. And it's all very personalized this way. Yes. And, like, and I'm, you know, I have a relationship with all my tenants and, you know, it's, it's, it's manageable and I run it all by myself. Yeah. So. And it's yeah. not, yeah, it's not, it's not doing more than you can do or taking more than you, yeah. than, than you, than you need. need. Exactly. Because yeah. exactly. like, yeah, it is. You're right. Hoardy. Yeah, it is hoardy. Like living, yeah, living within your needs is yeah. a, within your means is a, it's an art. It's a good, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, and it's also a very moralistic choice that capitalism can offer you, but you have to step away. Stop when you're. Yeah, and yeah. that's the hard part because I think it's human nature to always think we need more. Yeah, because like, like I actually remember a time in my life I had an apartment I had I could have two or th- one or two roommates and the rent was like you know like three hundred dollars mm-hmm, each or mm-hmm. something like that and I was like I just need a thousand dollars in my bank account all the time and then I'm fine right exactly and it was just like I just I never worried about money because I was like I just need a thousand dollars but then it's like like a thousand dollars so quickly becomes much more money right and then it all really of a sudden does. you're like oh I'm not like you never feel secure you never feel safe because you're like anything anything can happen and then you have to you end up paying for insurance for all your things and then you 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 have to pay someone to look after your things Mm -hmm. and then your things need more things and it just keeps growing and growing and growing and yeah like I like to I like to walk 
past big houses like I like to go walk in Utremal or Westmount mm-hmm. I find it like amazing but I'm also like how do these people clean their houses like the yeah. windows are so pristine like I would just I don't want to have a house I can't clean yeah. <laughs> really I have That's high it. standards so it actually takes me a long time to clean my tiny apartment right so I'm like I don't know how it just seems yeah a moralistic problem to have more stuff than you can take care of but almost everybody has more stuff than they can they do properly take they care do of. yeah yeah, like the beauty, the art and the beauty of simplicity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, now we're going to switch gears to switch gears to your mental health journey. Okay. So yeah. uh, you had a pretty dramatic thing happen last fall. And like you said, you were comfortable sharing, but only mm-hmm. share as much as you're comfortable sure. with. So just, yeah, tell us what okay. happened. Well, it actually started at the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. But it was my, I had, so my, both my kids have mental illness mm-hmm. and my daughter was very, very unwell and actually almost died. Oh no. Yes. In the, like, the just before heat the pandemic. Oh, just before, before 2020. Like, yeah, it was December 2019. And then um, we were all in Europe. It was a very stressful time. And then my father died oh, okay. also. So my daughter survived, my father died and I was holding on to everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, leading up to that, my our families had a, a really tough time with our kids' mm-hmm. mental illness. So there wasn't a lot of reserve when things started getting bad. I was already Just absolutely when, exhausted. Well, the grief of your father, too. Well, before right? he even yeah. died. Like, yeah. you know, I've had years of really difficult adolescent kids mm-hmm. who are suffering a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was holding that. So then... Right after my dad died, I snapped. I had a nervous breakdown. Fortunately, I was stuck in Wales and was able to have a very, very quiet time. Um, I just walked the hills and- That was you know, that was once the pandemic had started. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Yeah. So that's why I was stuck. I couldn't fly back. But yeah, I developed panic disorder. I I was crying hours and hours a day right hours and hours a day I couldn't I couldn't get out of bed and this was like all new for you yeah Yeah. I'm like hyperactive capable Mm -hmm. everyone's I'm there for everybody Mm -hmm. superwoman hyperactive and then everything went kaboom and Mm -hmm. fell apart and then so slowly building back up one that I I I did start painting Mm -hmm. and that was a massive massive help for me I learned how to go inside myself and actually play Mm -hmm. and have some fun and that was a massive step towards getting better another massive step was meeting a really amazing gynecologist who got me on hormones Mm -hmm. because I learned that I had something called PMDD which I'd never heard of premenstrual I call it premenstrual dystopia but I think it's it's dysphoric disorder right or something like that Mm -hmm due to perimenopause Mm. and so I was stuck in PMS and nervously exhausted Mm -hmm. so I went on hormones and that made a massive because you were what age 40 um 47 exactly exactly and and so there were these steps to get better but then I still was having really bad panic attacks like Mm -hmm. once once every couple weeks right not good no and I had ideation Mm -hmm. I had really really difficult time with my fam with my kids mm-hmm. with my partner we separated for like a year and a half right actually during the pandemic during the pandemic yeah. with my whole breakdown I just I just had to flee I didn't know what to do I hadn't I didn't have the skills I didn't 
you know, dissociating for months on end, you know, just like not in my body at all. Mm -hmm. Very weird. And then um, I've also, to add to that, um, I've been a stoner since I was 14. You're in good company. Right. I mean, not right. with me, I don't, yeah. but lots of people right. and started at 14. You know, when I was 14, I didn't have any friends. I was so weird. And smoking weed suddenly gave me a community. Mm -hmm. And it also gave me an excuse to be weird because I right. was stoned. Yeah. And then my strangeness sort of started making sense and I met all the other odd bods and it just became a part of me for so long. And quite frankly, in the last year or so, it's been less fun. But right. I keep smoking because I think that's my release. Right. And then I started learning that it was actually me having an escape from reality. It was like I was trying to take a break Mm -hmm. from everything but carrying on doing everything but stoned and it was really hard and it got really stressful and I was already exhausted mm -hmm. and so being stoned became horrible but I couldn't really admit it to myself because you were like a committed like you yeah. grew weed, I was, you were I like, was, like yeah you're like this is so healthy like, yeah I even like, you know I supported my son who has severe ADHD mm -hmm. to use weed mm -hmm. and now he has a weed problem well Lots you know, we just, we're just absolutely naive. And I just, mm -hmm. I, my daughter who's sober mm -hmm. was on my case for so long. Like, mama, it's not good for you. Stop it. I'm like, no, no, term. no, I'm fine. Do you smoke it or do you add a I was a, yeah, yeah, I love rolling yeah. little, yeah. you know, and I will, my excuse was like, oh, but I don't smoke much. Right. But it's bullshit yeah. because it's like, it affected me much. Right. So <laughs> it's like, it's not about how much you consume it's what it does in your brain and you had to have it like every day probably almost yeah almost okay. not every day but most days okay and um it started really getting hard and then in december the end of december of 2022 i i hadn't smoked for about three weeks because i had been in europe actually i smoked once in europe and i literally lost reality for like 48 hours oh, it no. was horrid and i just wrote it out like nothing uh -huh. was going on. It's going to pass. It's going to pass. It's going to pass. It just wouldn't go away. I came back to Montreal and I was starting to think, you know what? I've got to stop smoking right. weed. And I went to a party and I smoked a whole damn joint to myself. Because usually, because yeah. you'd taken so much time off and then yeah. you were just like. And I was, at this, I was a, nervous at this party. Binge, I, guess, I, I yeah. wasn't with people that made me feel good. And I binge ate like. I've never been ate before. Right. It, it was so bad. And before I Before the weed or after? No, after right. the weed. Like Munchies, I got stoned yeah. and then yeah. just like ate everything on the table. Sick. I yeah. felt so bad. And then the next day I had the panic attack of all panic attacks. Oh no. And I actually attempted suicide. Oh no. I, I did. didn't know that. Oh, it no. wasn't This is weird because I kind of knew I wasn't gonna was actually do work? it but like, i was like i closed my eyes and walked into traffic oh i couldn't be anymore right and it wouldn't go away the feeling this horrible there's no word that i know in in the english language that describes how horrendous it feels to be in a panic attack that won't leave it's so dark it's so heavy and it wouldn't leave i tried and it was new year's eve Oh, I no, tried it's... to go to my friend's New Year's Eve party. I went with my kids. They all knew I was in trouble. 
That was after you'd walked into traffic? Yeah. Okay. A few hours. I, I, I got myself home. I was hyperventilating. Mm-hmm. I was, like, my, I was stimming. It was just horrible. Mm-hmm. I, could, I just climbed under the blankets and, oh, I feel weird just talking about it yeah. like I'm okay I want to share this but it's it's like yeah no, it, it's my body remembers traumatic. this feeling yes. and and so I walked myself to hospital actually my daughter walked with me this in Montreal yeah yeah okay at um, Notre Dame and I told oh, them yeah. what was going on and they gave me benzos which right. really it did help I've never tried them before and it this really is like Ativan yeah it, exactly it sort of knocks you out it does here. and it helped and I took like for a few days like half ones mm-hmm. every 12 hours or something mm-hmm. and it did help and then they put me on antidepressants and that was so bad yeah oh my god and I told the doctor I'm like I have really severe ADHD I'm not sure yeah it, antidepressants is my jam and it wasn't it like my anxiety was so bad I couldn't get out of bed for a couple of weeks and but they assigned me at the hospital they assigned me a psychiatric nurse okay and so she switched me off as soon as I got my appointment she switched me off the antidepressants and I started on ADHD meds for the very first time in my life and holy crap is it a new life life changing oh my god like okay it's been six months I haven't touched weed I've been on ADHD meds for like three months now Mm -hmm. I don't have anxiety anymore I'm on speed and I don't have anxiety. And that's what's so puzzling. <laughs> like, I take naps on amphetamines. Wow. You know, it's just like, this is real. Yeah. So just back up. So you had the ADHD. How did you know you had ADHD well, before the... I, I mean, I'm just so textbook. Okay. Like I'd never... I have severe dyslexia. I had learning problems through school. I was crazy hyperactive. Right. My mom was a hippie so she would try and give me you know like homeopathic shit to calm mm-hmm. me down but basically figured out I needed sport oh, so yeah. I was a, an athlete and she made you swam you almost yeah. went to the Olympics yeah, I think yeah, right? I did I got in the sort of sub Olympic like the B yeah. team <laughs> pretty good <laughs> pretty good but but yeah I was intensely active in sport which mm-hmm. kept me able to like just about finish school focus and just yeah enough, right? and yeah and not, you know, set houses on fire and become too much trouble because I was a naughty kid. Um, but I had a lot of animals. Uh-huh. I had horses. I had my sport. I had a lot of skills that I needed. And I lived in the country. So mm-hmm. I was able to, like, be outside all day long. Mm-hmm. But, man, I couldn't I couldn't have friends. I couldn't right. do all the normal things. And the more I learned about ADHD, I'm like, well, duh. That's, of course, yeah. that's me. But I... I didn't have a relationship with medical world. Right. You know, my mom's an anti-vaxxer. Okay. Everything was bad about pills. I was so against it. I, I studied nutrition and natural medicine. You know, I was so against Popping it. Popping supplements. Yeah, and like, well, yeah, yeah exactly. While also smoking, smoking weed, weed and taking right? echinacea and saying, you know, Ritalin's for the assholes. Right. Apparently I was wrong. Right. So yeah, it took a long time for me to shift out of that and understand. And then watching my son grow up with even worse ADHD right. than me mm-hmm. and actually really like I didn't my anti-pillness was embedded in my children right. who both need medication right that was yeah. a challenge as well so yeah a lot of <laughs> a lot of turning around like and shift yeah, yeah well, and, that's... but it's so obvious like honestly when I when my nurse interviewed me she was laughing 
she's, she's like, like, just take the pills. It took like five or ten minutes, I think. <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, ADHD is such like a trendy, it's sort mm, of a trendy diagnosis. Know, like it's, everyone's like, it's sort of, it's like the diagnosis of the decade. Like, I don't know, like I in know. the 2000s, it was yeah. like oh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And now, yeah. like everyone, I'll probably do like a disclaimer before this podcast because like I don't want people to be like, oh, I must have ADHD. Yeah, I'm going to like get my hands on some Ritalin. But like, it sounds like you were more a text when it case. When it's a dysfunction in yeah. your life, like yeah. I have not been able to be employed. Right. I cannot do normal things. It's a disability at certain levels. And I know that there are people who do well on ADHD meds who have, you know, it's a spectrum, Mm -hmm. but I'm on the extreme end. Yeah. My son is on the extreme end. He can't finish high school. He can't socialize. Everything is too much. It's like the sensitivity level. Yeah is so high and and they're learning more and more and more about it like oh now we're autistic as well right and we have all these ADHD it's it's this exploding thing and I know it's trendy and it, I, I you know I don't feel frustrated about that that mm-hmm. everybody has ADHD because the more we talk about it the more those of us who are disabled by it yeah. are gonna get understood and Mm -hmm. and and seen Mm -hmm. so I know it's trendy but I don't feel the stigma personally yeah and I guess like it it is very it's a bit of a frustrating well all mental health is a bit frustrating in Quebec but it's hard to get a clear diagnosis it seems like a lot of the standard psychiatrists like if you get on the like five-month rating list to to get a psychiatrist in Quebec they won't know a lot about it so well I come from Britain so I feel like Quebec is amazing. Oh, it is better? Okay, <laughs> that's good to know. Britain, okay. you know, shut up and go over it. Right, is yeah, their yeah. Attitude. Oh, yeah. They won't give Ritalin to anyone. Right. They won't give ADHD just meds like, out. Just it's like run around in the fields yes. and come home and yeah. do your math oh, homework. Yeah. yeah, please calm down. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> so. yeah, can be like quite a long wait and then it's a lot of speculation and that can, like I, I yes. guess it's frustrating for people. And mental it health is, is frustrating. It but is. I think... And please, anybody listening, do not diagnose yourself with ADHD with, no. from our podcast. But I think it can be misdiagnosed as depression and anxiety mm-hmm. or just like mm-hmm. some of the more common stuff, and especially with women. Definitely. That was just not like, I have it. I mean, I'm just going to come out with this. I have a suspected diagnosis now. It's pretty recent. And but when I was younger, I was like a model student. But I always remember feeling like, just like there was something I really needed to manage. Like there was like, there was, I guess it's hyperactivity, but there was a lot of like stress in my brain. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to like have very serious systems in order to like do what everybody else seemed to do. And it was like, and then I was labeled a gifted child. So it was like I had to work double time. Like there was this added pressure, Uh, but it sort of, it does sort of make sense. I was always diagnosed with anxiety. So I don't know if I would go on pills or not. Um, The doctor says I have no impairments. I'm like, well, that's what it looks like but yeah. like <laughs> well I think the complex thing with women versus men is that we are intrinsically it's like epigenic mm-hmm. in the sense that we have these inbuilt or built-in we're taught from get-go strategies mm-hmm. we learn to cope we learn to manage everything so much more in society in the way we manage a family like as a mother versus a father it's it was it's evening out but like the mental energy a mother holds mm-hmm. 
is it, we we know about everything that's going on. Yeah, we strategize the whole list. The whole list. Yeah. We know all the things. We think about them all day long. It's emotional labor. Labor. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. And and I think that that is we're born with it as young women. And so when the ADHD, we can turn that into doing millions of things at once yeah model multitasking model exactly like it's incredible but the anxiety and the burnout that comes with that yeah is is astronomical like no impairments but at like a a serious cost like not sleeping through the not night like meltdowns in the pharmacy Yeah, um, definitely. I don't even have kids and I can attest to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wanted to just swing back on mental health in Quebec. Yeah. I have to say that when the hard part is, is because it's a spectrum, mm-hmm. when you really have serious problems and you get into the system, you get help. It's pretty good. Yes, but getting there is very challenging, confronting, um, scary, confusing, and so the the path to actually finding the people who you need to help you mm-hmm. is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But once you learn, you get there. You get yeah. there. I mean, sometimes you can maybe get with a less helpful therapist. Like, like yes, that's the that's thing. Also is the like risk. I've been, I've yes. just like with government funded therapists, I've had. Oof. It's been a bit hit or miss. Like yes. you're in the private system. I or? actually haven't ever had therapy. Oh, okay, okay. I haven't, and I am distrusting of it. Okay. I have a well. I also have a hard time looking after myself. It's something I've never learned to do. Um, my daughter was in therapy for a long time. Yeah. I tried with my son too, but he doesn't like it either. Okay. And I think that yeah, I have an aversion. I know okay. it, but I also understand that it's hit or miss. Right. And uh, I've had so many horror stories that uh, it it kind of it feels invasive. It, to it you? does. I would okay. trust a social worker more than okay. I would trust a therapist myself. And that's something I don't want to necessarily think is a great thing. But I have definitely. I think it's deeper in me about not being able to help myself. But then again, I've read. I'm so interested in psychology. Mm-hmm. I've read so much about it. Like I am very fascinated on it. And I imply it on my own a lot but I think yeah I think having this strangeness about me and learning to be so deeply self-reliant I don't know any other way so I will learn things I will read all sorts of styles of psychology and then implicate them myself Mm -hmm. but yeah but I think it is therapy needs to be nuanced and can be a bit delicate for people with neurodiversity like I think Mm -hmm. I I mean gosh well I'm on my 13th therapist I love her to death Mm-hmm. Hi, Karen. <laughs> That's very brave of you <laughs> to go to, to try that many. That's well, amazing. I brave is one word. It yeah. might be um, diluted, but no, I think I, I well, it would get. I'm. I think you're brave. Well, thank you. Yeah. But I, I don't know. For me, I see, I see therapy as like an attachment, like a to repair an attachment issue, and. But I used to think of it as a way to improve your life, to be like, okay, I'm going to go to... Because th- you, yeah, you hear yeah, people, they're like, definitely. oh, I was so depressed. And then I went to therapy for six months. And mm-hmm. then I resolved all my mommy issues. And then I met the love of my life. And now I have a partner and a baby and I like a mortgage and everything. 
And I, I'm just like, I try not to hate those people. I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> like I'm thinking of one person in particular. I'm like, oh, like that, that really worked for you. Or maybe it was not, maybe it was like a year and a half, right? But I'm mm-hmm. just like, okay, well, that wasn't my experience. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, every Wednesday when I'm like wailing to Karen, I'm like, is this maybe like, should I be doing something different? But yet I think the attachment is valuable. But I have heard that not sometimes talk therapy doesn't work for people with ADHD or it takes a certain kind. Yes. But I think you do have to go to what you're drawn to in Definitely. the healing yep. uh, the healing arts or whatever like right. when your process. But so what have you so you have your nurse, you have the meds, but what what else have you Well I have done? an ama- I have an amazing community of mm-hmm. really brilliant friends. Yeah. And I find that that is the most meaningful thing. Mm-hmm. And then my art, my animal mm-hmm. um, and in my family, I'm really, really close with my kids, mm-hmm. and we we work really hard at being okay. And um, I f- I feel like I probably would benefit from therapy. Mm-hmm. I tried twice um, okay. over the pandemic. The first recommendation, the woman was so exhausted. Every oh. time I had a session with her, she re-asked me my name. That yeah, that, I've heard that. Okay, the so, pandemic therapy. Like, was not totally good. triggered all my neglect yeah. Uh, bad yeah yeah and then the second was an art therapist because art was my jam yeah and she started she asked me all my hard things like right away I had right. to tell her everything and so I was left the session feeling completely triggered and right. awful and then she starts emailing me about doing yoga no. I got so mad. I wrote back to her and I'm like, you are not charging me $130 an hour to tell me to breathe from one side of my nose to the other. Oh, Fuck you. No. Fuck yoga. Go away. <laughs> that was I can, my reaction. I can agree with the fuck yoga. I, I think people need to stop recommending meditation to people in serious oh, mental health crises. Like, it's like... Unseen, You think I might not have to? thought of that yeah. by now? Like, you know, go for a brisk walk. It's like... Okay, crapshoot. It is a full crapshoot, but we're paying <laughs> Rolls Royce prices for being crapshot at when we're vulnerable, in need, and yeah. they're just broken people too. And the pressure of paying for therapy. I've had a lot of free therapy mm-hmm. in my life, and now I have a, I mean, my my therapist, she's very generous, but yeah, like it, there is a difference paying for therapy, like especially when it's mm-hmm. like in the like high hundreds yeah. uh, and that's, that's stressful. And a lot of people, a lot of mental health problems stem from, like this is oversimplifying, but it stems from a, like just a lack of security in the world, right? And then if you're draining your bank account trying to, yeah, there, it can yeah. be a bit, a bit problematic. Um, yeah. Like I want work. I mean, I know I'm, I'm someone that needs effectiveness. Yeah. I need productivity. I'm a doer. So it's like too passive for me. I'll just like fidget the whole yeah. time. And it just might not be your thing. No, I think I have all the excuses in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe one day I'll come across somebody and they'll well, tell maybe, me Well, maybe. I mean, what. I think that's sort of, it makes me think of meditation and everyone's yeah. like, do you meditate? <laughs> no. But everyone is just like, oh, I just have to turn podcasts off when they're like, so how did you, like, how did you make that shift in your life? How did you come to mm-hmm. where? And the people are like, well, I discovered mindfulness and meditation. I'm like, okay, fuck off. I don't want to yeah. hear that. Because like, I don't know. I've done lots of meditation in my life. I'm sure it's been helpful. I do. I meditate every day. It's fine. Right. 10 minutes if I can make it. Yeah. But it's just like, I feel it's overstated. Like, well, <laughs> it's it, just so. A- I don't know if you know this, but the, the, you know, the brain waves, the three levels, the 
alpha so gamma yeah, beta not alpha, whatever but yeah yeah beta, gamma, gamma the other one beta something like that yeah ta. so basically we'll say slow medium and fast okay right so adhd people go slow or fast we don't know how to do the medium mm. and the meditation is learning how to the medium so it's like it's actually the best medicine for us but we can't exactly. access it so it's very frustrating i just sleep or I get angry, right? fast or slow. Mm -hmm. Like I did Tai Chi for a while and I just literally slept through every class. <laughs> You're tired. <laughs> they, they started the class lying down and I was like, <laughs> out. <laughs> so if you're lucky enough to learn how to do medium, like biofeedback, that's what they're also training you to do is get that middle right. concentration level. Yeah. But it's just, it's not natural for us. It's not, it's very uncomfortable. It's yeah. like um, my mum as a child, and when I was little, would try and sort of hold me oh. and keep me to slow down. And I just felt like Jack-Jack from just The Incredibles. Like, me. <laughs> right. Rage. And like, I was like, just be chill. And yeah. Like, oh, that no. might not work out. And I know that it sounds lovely to try and do that. But if it's not in your body, if it's not who you are, and I'm like 49, I can't see myself just sort of wandering into a meditation place mm. and getting this. Like, I've never been there telling a deaf person like S listening's great listen hard. like listen harder <laughs> like just keep trying you'll hear yeah Fuck off. <laughs> yeah so i i get this sort of trying to get into the medium wave and mm -hmm. the calm place like i used to see i don't know how i did this but for years i meditated half an hour a day mm -hmm. half an hour sometimes longer with a i put like a book or a block on my head so okay. that my posture would be good and i think i did fall asleep sometimes and then I would proceed with my sort of manic, right, right, like high highs, whatever. <laughs> uh, but I always thought of meditation as like a memory of calm. So it's like I was calm. I sat still and was quiet and didn't like sometimes I would cry, but didn't twirl my hair and like think bad thoughts for well, some people do think bad thoughts in meditation, but I usually then I just fail. I'm, mm -hmm. I think you're supposed to work mm -hmm. through the bad thoughts, but usually I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm, or observe them. No, I'm not no. very. That's that's not my specialty. But I would just be like, I had the memory of calm. Yeah. And just after a few mental health crises of my own, I'm finding half an hour is just not happening. But no. I can do eleven. I do eleven minutes in the morning, and I don't. Yeah, how calm do I feel? I bail if I don't like it, but. I've lately, I heard it was good to like look out your, like to open your window and look mm -hmm. to have morning light. So then I just stare at the tree. But I think for people like us, like just, or anybody with a busy mind, if it's too much to sit, like doing something, I mean, as gross as the word mindful is, but like, I don't know, cleaning, like do something yeah. quiet, like do yeah. something repetitive that's yeah. quiet. I mean, I did that with yoga for yeah. 20 years. Oh, okay. I, you you know, were a yoga person. I was, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Oh. Um, it <laughs> damaged my body, yeah, but I, I felt like being, I, I accessed that calm mm -hmm. from doing those movements, but I'm also really competitive and really flexible and herniated Damaged. my spine and fucked up my hips and right. all of that because it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, but painting, you could call that a meditation, mm -hmm. you know. But also, what about doing nothing? Yeah. Can we just say, like, yeah, does everything can, have to be a cure for it, life? Oh, for God's sake. Like, can't we just sit outside and look at a tree yeah. and do and nothing? Does it have to be productive? And Instagrammable. Got a yeah. word for everything, like, well, it's just it's very tiring. <laughs> but then that that I was going to say painting, going outside, being with your dog. But also you are a massage therapist. So that's yeah. very kind of it like is. focused. It was, 
And it actually did help me calm down a ton. I would get into that delicious nervous system calm with Mm -hmm. the people Mm -hmm. I was massaging sometimes. Co-regulating. Yeah, exactly. Co-regulating. But my massage therapy, as my clients know very well, is not your average massage. It's a bit chatty. It can be chatty for sure. Mm -hmm. I would do my very best to shut up, but not the best at it. But what I did was work (laughs) so hard. It wasn't really a massage that you would go to sleep to. My massage is painful. Okay. Uh, You come out a couple inches taller. I'm a really, really strong person. I I could see that, yeah. (laughs) And so I I would just give my everything. And it was more like shape-shifting than... (laughs) Yeah, definitely not a relaxing spa treatment. Yeah. It's a deep tissue. Let's get this done. Arrive in your body. So you can relax when you're done. Right. With my massage, you know, that's yeah. when the, I, my partner would always laugh and say it's, they're all happy because that you've stopped. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, relax yeah. Now. Yeah. So I, I, I definitely could zone out and it would help. And I always thought it was a great place to put all of my energy. Yeah. But in retrospect, I was still like giving way too much right. away. Mm-hmm. So, you know painting or doing things that are easier on my body that I can be generous with for me alone painting is so amazing for that like I don't need to involve the community I don't need to ask anyone to help me I don't need to like get busy with with all the exterior things I can really just go bananas by myself with the most bright colors I mean, my art's just like neon yeah it's so shiny and and, and abstract and silly and Mm -hmm. funny and I just have a laugh Mm -hmm. you know and and just play with color Mm -hmm. so painting is my absolute happy place now. painting boundaries yeah exactly I do this is the trip I outline everything in black Uh, and I thought about that a while ago and I realized that's what I was doing you're making boundaries everywhere in my art are boundaries (laughs) it's all day long yeah it's hilarious oh they're cool are they online anywhere yeah yeah my my I was told to have an Instagram account okay well so I did that everybody can look at you I uh I still don't know quite how to use Instagram very well no it's a lot okay yeah I'm kind of proud of that yeah I I think that's a that's a selling point yeah and I have a beanie alley twice a year which is funny where I I do a little art sale in the alleyway in the summer okay so I'm getting ready for another one in August another beanie alley oh we'll look out for that but I mean yeah painting is that is the most therapeutic that and it doesn't exhaust your body like I I guess we didn't really talk about eating disorders maybe you don't have to but I think that Mm -hmm. that there is a co yes morbidity with ADHD and eating disorders I don't know maybe I don't have ADHD but I definitely had the eating disorder component and there's just a sort of like drive to kind of like and back to boundaries you don't have a sense of what's enough like what's too much like right and you're just like throwing yourself into physical stuff until you're just totally exhausted exactly it's very unsustainable but yeah painting yeah doing some more not passive it's still active but just less grueling exactly exactly yes I had an eating disorder that still knocks on my door here and there yeah, it's, it doesn't. I don't think it'll ever go away. But um, I certainly have compassion for that part of me. And uh, yeah, it's a struggle. I think it all ties in with being extremely sensitive and trying to cope with stimulation in strange ways. And the, interestingly, when I started taking the meds, I felt way more sensitive than I've At first, ever. okay. Uh, yeah, because I think what happened was that my like Tasmanian devil... Mm -hmm. was this way of like 
bringing the noise up so that I had a constant noise. Right. Yeah. Of chaos. You mean? And so then I couldn't feel all the things because it, it was a strategy to cope, right? And then the hyperactivity went away and then suddenly like, oh, I can't do loud noises or yeah, bright lights or, you know, all sorts of different things come up. And it's like, wow, I am so sensitive. Stimulants. You know, I can't do caffeine. I can't handle alcohol. I can't, you know, I can't smoke weed anymore. Yeah. I, all of these things had to stop. And I have to really, like, make my world a lot quieter. But, yeah, it's like a, a big a big healing era for you. Massive. Yeah. Yeah. I think perimenopause does that to many women it's like a it's the breaks come on catalyst for all the change that needs to happen yeah and you you i'm sure a huge number of divorces yeah because of perimenopause yeah like just like i can't be fake anymore i can't i can't you don't care things slide anymore and that even a micro 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 amount of hormone shift can change who you are everything yeah it can change everything mm-hmm. and so all this like no fucks given is more like no more progesterone having <laughs> <laughs> suddenly right if there's a reason by the no fucks given like movement of middle-aged women it's because our hormones shift right yeah my grandmother talked about like the renaissance after 50 like Mm -hmm. she she sort of felt like she really came into herself yeah when she turned 50 she got divorced but then like she just felt like her sense of humor blossomed like she got more confidence so I think probably the first little bit after I guess a healing crisis or like you know a big breakdown is going to be tender and difficult but it's sort of yeah well you finally have the guts to say the hard things and mm-hmm. do the hard things and sit with yourself and see yourself when I look back at my journals from when I was younger I was always like there's something I'm hiding from there's something I'm running from what is it and it was me yeah and I I didn't have the the patience or the courage to face myself I for some reason I thought it was really scary and you find it scary now no, yeah I'm fine yeah I can't believe I was so scared <laughs> so silly yeah but getting to that it's like jumping off the dock into the cold water you're standing there like (laughs) oh I take a long time to jump right so do I (laughs) not you know the beginning of the season anyway and it's like it's that moment and for some reason we spend our whole lives like hovering Mm -hmm. or all of our lives or whoever I mean it's different for everybody Mm -hmm. but that that jump Mm-hmm. And then learning to jump again and again and again and actually to have fun jumping is what it feels like to come out of a crisis like this, to come out of a burnout and learn to just actually enjoy your own company. Mm-hmm. And once you get in the water, you're fine. It's actually really nice. It's great. Yeah. 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 Silly me. <laughs> Well, we're, I think we're at the listener question component. Okay. So we have, I mean, we always like to have doozies here. Okay, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So dear Erica and Bean, I am a 44-year-old woman and my wife and I have been married for 13 years. All is relatively okay. Uh, we have two school-aged children, two dogs, and a lovely home. We love each other and we are a good team. I hear that a lot, yeah, right? Good yeah, team. Yeah. I mean, could be worse. What's eating at me inside is eight years ago, I cheated on my partner while she was pregnant with our second child. 
and continued the emotional affair for years afterwards. My wife did the IVF and childbearing. Uh, We had an easier time conceiving than many couples and both pregnancies were super smooth. And while we were waiting for the first baby, we even had a ton of sex. How nice. But once our first kid was born, our intimate life tanked. I went back to work first since I wasn't breastfeeding and my job pays better. And then every time I came home, I felt like my wife was in this little cocoon with the baby. It seemed like sex in all forms was suddenly off the table. I feel like a jerk, but I felt really rejected. And when I tried to like help out with the baby and chores, nothing was up to my wife's standards. And she took out a lot of stress on onto me, often yelled at me and snapped at me. And instead of rising above this, I started to shut down. So now skip to five months before our second child was born. And I met, th- I met this enchanting woman at a work event. She asked me the last time I'd felt alive and I couldn't remember, but I knew I felt alive right then. We started emailing back and forth and before long, we were sleeping together every couple of weeks. I felt pretty guilty. Remember, this person's wife is pregnant, but I did it anyways. While the sex mainly stopped when our child was born, we slipped into bed a handful of times and we kept texting and emailing for four years. My wife and I had started to get along better, and we even had sex a few times, but I still felt lonely in our marriage. Though I always loved my wife and never wanted to leave my family, the texts and emails gave me a sense of excitement and possibility that I couldn't get easily in my life with my wife and kids. Eventually, my lover wanted to call off all contact, and I respected that. Meanwhile, my wife and I renovated a new home that we love, My wife landed a job she enjoys, and we just added two ridiculously adorable dogs to our family. The spark's not amazing, but we do love each other. I've never told my wife about the affair, and I'm wondering if I should. To make matters more complicated, my former lover has started to appear at the same regular conference my company sends me to. The first time we ran into each other, we just said hi, but then before long, we were back to emailing but usually just the week before we see each other. I know we are going to take things much further than emails. Is that really terrible? Could it be okay to correspond as friends? We haven't had sex for over five years. I love my wife and want to make my family work. Does that mean I have to tell her the truth? Please help. Love, jerk wife. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. What a mess. Yeah, I guess. Poor thing. So, right. So to recap... Two women in a marriage. Yeah. Everything was okay until the first kid was born. Then there was like a little bubble with the baby. And then the wife was like, what about me? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I'm a real jerk. I feel neglected. Then she meets someone enchanting. It's probably very available or whatever. Like dessert. So they get intertwined. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the wife gets pregnant again. Or while the other wife is pregnant. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, I can relate. It's a lot of guilt. There's a lot. Who, who can you relate to? So um, my partner had an affair okay. when I was having oh, the second really? kid. Yeah. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, it's so textbook classic. Second kid. Second kid. Second pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I went through all the pain and suffering of that. It's it's so complicated. It's such a human behavior. Right. To feel like neglected. Yeah. And, just, and like, then to like the, the coincidence of like excitement somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I'm not a great believer in monogamy. Okay. But at the same time, I understand that when you're raising a family, it does make things much more simple. Mm-hmm. Polyamory is messy. Mm-hmm. With raising children, I know some 
my friends are poly or were poly when they had kids and it's a lot. Yeah. But if it's who you are, you got to kind of, you know, deal with that. But that's not so simple. And I understand as a mom in both senses, like it's very natural to put your kids first and your mm -hmm. family first. And I, I respect that. We've we've opened and closed our relationship many right. times. Mm -hmm. I think it's an orientation. And I think that people who have the capacity to love more than one person at a time, it's complicated. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like it's not like bisexuality is complicated i'm bisexual and it's not fun it's not like yay yeah <laughs> it's more fun for me yeah. no it's not more fun for me it's more messy for me yeah. and i think being poly is also messy and it's difficult and loving more than one person at a time is difficult just logistically logistically and, and then also because we've based family on this very monogamous train mm -hmm. so it's very hard for your parents your friends your partner your kids to have empathy for you, mm -hmm. you know, because it comes from all like it's so much judgments involved yeah. when you're like meandering off, you know, and it's messy. So many people go through this, whether yeah. they physically or emotionally it's or, it's, you know, it's a fantasy based like we need fantasy. We need a lot yeah. of fantasy in our lives. We don't talk about that. Right. But like having crushes, I've had so many crushes and they're 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 unavailable. Oh, I have I'm those really too, lucky that I, that I choose unavailable people <laughs> yeah. to crush on because then right. I know it's just a fantasy, but it shouldn't be just. They're important. Like, yeah. we need those. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, like, this, like, lovely Christian life that's been thrown at us by having, like, being considered good if we're monogamous mm -hmm. and faithful is so unhuman it's like, it's like you get a report card yeah it's like oh you You're, were yeah. a good you yeah, were a yeah. good wife Check. and you were not yeah. because you i'm just wondering about the like deceit component though because yeah. it sounds like it wasn't allowed in yeah, the relationship exactly. and which is very common yep and then it's been so many years right so then yeah. what do you do oh, i don't gosh that's know. a personal choice i mean honestly i wouldn't tell her i wouldn't say anything because the the hurt you're gonna create it's just like or you have to you have to angle it in a way where you can start sharing more about yourself i mean it, it obviously the first thing is is that your relationship is lacking intimacy mm -hmm. most likely if that's kind of happening yeah so step one would be to work on intimacy yeah work on closeness so that you can develop trust and develop a way of being able to be more yourself with your partner that's so hard I know it's hard like being vulnerable and it sounds like that's the one person you're going to be vulnerable with bullshit right no it's no, much easier not. when there's no naked it's times so, and yeah. so much easier with friends or I, oh my god I make yeah. a I, I make a practice of being super vulnerable with people I don't sleep with it's a yeah. talent of mine um, yeah so that <laughs> yeah that would be my answer is like work on your vulnerability right. together as a couple. But will but, that lie get in the way of the vulnerability? Like, No, I think that with the vulnerability work, the lie will be able to be mm -hmm. told and it will no longer be a lie. But if you just walk in and... Yeah, don't come in. And yeah. just like... Blah, 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 oh. You're going to have a lot of a messier... I am worried. Pick up mess. If you can like start, start somewhere else and build something and and start working on yourself and start like understanding that you're you're avoiding your partner for a reason and if you get to the bottom of that 
it'll be a lot less scary to share who you are. But I'm just worried though. Some people are just so black and white about cheating and they're just yeah, they like, are. that's yeah, they it. Are. Then, then they'll exactly. be like, the whole thing has been a lie. But I actually don't think that like, I mean, I've been the other woman before and I don't think that the person didn't love his wife and didn't exactly. love the family. It's this, the he thing. definitely compartmentalized. It was like Erica mm-hmm. time and there wasn't a lot of it really. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I could, I could just like, I could give her a little summary if she yeah. needs reassurance. Yeah. But yeah, there was like Erica time and then family. It was very, yeah. very kind of calculated and compartmentalized. And so it's just, yeah, maybe, I don't know. It just, I guess it depends. You have to know your wife. Like if you feel, but I just can't imagine taking that to the grave. I just feel like. No, but at the same time, are you really, so we've both cheated on each other. And when you think about it, there's different ways you can look at it. But I look at it as like, yeah, I mean, we've cleared the air. Mm-hmm. years later and it's fine mm-hmm. but in the moment I never felt like I was loving him less there was parts of me that needed other Something things else, yeah and I needed to take care of that and I never learned that it was safe to like bring that up open mm-hmm. it up I didn't know how to do that and so it gets messy the the this this false pretense of monogamy really sets us up for a disaster it's not human and Mm -hmm. I said it before and I really believe that but I think that like you will hurt your whole family I mean it it's like who are you helping here Mm -hmm. when you when you divulge something you've done wrong are you you're doing this for you you're not doing it for them are you you know who is it for that's the question I ask myself a lot you know and like when when you're like when you feel guilty and you feel ashamed of what you've done going and then divulging your mess and then breaking their heart ruining a family and a marriage so you feel less guilty is that fair? it's just sort of like transferring it over basically and i think like if you do your personal work first and actually really deal with yourself and get to the root of why you will have the ability to have more dignity and be able to choose better and to also express better and it'll be less painful for everyone if you go underneath and see why you're doing that yeah so maybe like get to the root of things Mm -hmm. work on the vulnerability and intimacy and relationship and then it'll maybe just be obvious whether to disclose or not and it may be something that you have to just keep to yourself yeah but what do you think about the correspondence on the side the work the work commitment is it dicey or is it okay? That's I mean, such a personal choice. It really depends on who it is. Too. It does. It does. And I think that like staying in touch with old lovers shouldn't be considered a crime. Yeah. But what's going on? Mm-hmm. What are you actually doing? Why? You know, yeah. it's, it's all about the underlying motivation. Like what's missing? It, um, but maybe nothing's missing. Maybe it's just a really amazing connection. And there's someone else in the world that you really love. And it's just like the sparks probably, it could yeah. be like, it could be just um, not as significant. It could just, it could just be like, yeah, staying yeah. friends with a lover and yeah. I mean, being often, civilized and mature. And maybe there's a little bit of like, every time you see some, that person, you're like, mm, maybe, mm-hmm. but as long as you don't do anything, maybe that's fine. I think so. I mean, chemistry is there for a lot of reasons. We yeah. don't, I, I learned this later on in life that, cause I, I would often meet someone new in my life and have a crush for a minute on them but crushes sometimes meet (laughs) but I learned later that like crushes mean sometimes it's a new friend crushes sometimes mean it's a good business 
partner. Yeah. Crushes don't mean I need to rub up and down against you naked. Yeah. It just means there's chemistry. It's an initial attraction. Yeah. And yeah. Then for whatever reason. My my body just goes, because yeah. I'm really sensitive. And, you know, yeah, so that- it's like there's there's a way to be mature about Mm-hmm. Chemistry. You know, chemistry that doesn't necessarily have to be so messy and um yeah it's it's a it's it's a question of like taking the time to like be real honest with yourself about why I mean I I know I know in particular too I know lots of lesbian couples the sex is, doesn't always what stay is it called? The lesbian, lesbian deathbed death <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear I heard about this yeah one. yeah I was like oh I that's mean, upsetting it okay. is it is I mean it's cozy I, a, I think they have cozy times. I hope that a lot of lesbian couples are fine with it but I know it's a thing mm-hmm. I, you know I, I don't know I have never been in a lesbian relationship yeah I yeah I've never tried so I hope that jerk wife you don't have a lesbian sex wait deathbed deathbed I think you'll figure it out I yeah absolve yourself of your guilt by yourself internally and don't it's not up to your wife to absolve you of guilt yeah it isn't and it's not fair that she should do that work yeah what what is the problem here really Mm -hmm. is the problem Mm -hmm. that you didn't tell your wife the problem is the lack of intimacy I think I think so so Go for the go for the vulnerability, the intimacy, and and write us back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Intimacy, personal like personal intimacy. Yeah, right. And personal accountability mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Good luck to jerk wife and enjoy mm-hmm. your kids and your dog. It yeah, sounds like exactly. you're kind of winning at life a little bit. Yeah, kids and a yep. dog in a house. That's and nice. Not only do lesbians not have sex with children, most couples. Don't have. Don't. I mean, yeah. we're unusual that way. Yeah. Oh, maybe because yeah. you didn't get married. Maybe, or because we're just really sexual people. Sex friends. We are. We yeah. we had a. We have great chemistry. I lucked yeah. out on that department. Oh, he, that's so nice. Yeah, yeah, it is. There's other parts of him that aren't great, but that part. It's <laughs> <laughs> like right. Pick your battles. I can glue. Yeah, but that is true. That yeah, forgive yourself. And I mean, there are a lot of podcasts about sex out there about spicing things up. But I think step number one is take the pressure off. Yeah, because there's a lot of sort of performance. And, and there's stuff nothing sex. sexier than being vulnerable. Yeah, honestly, yeah. actually showing up and being present whilst having sex is a bigger challenge than you thought. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, good luck, jerk wife. I mean, maybe you'll have a better name next time. So I think we're ready to wrap up with everyone's favorite questions because I love routines. So if you don't have to have routines, but do you have a morning routine? Like what does your life look like when you wake up? I have a decaf latte. Okay. I rub my doggy's belly. Mm-hmm. She hears the coffee machine and oh, rolls over in menu. And so we have a cuddle and then I walk my dog okay. before anything else happens in my day. Yeah. So that's my morning routine. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah. Minu, beautiful husky. Yeah. Love Minu. Dogs bring so much joy. Oh, my goodness. They're like the best yes, friends. Yes, they are. Especially yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so do you have a creative routine? No. No creative. Absolutely none. No. Okay. Zero. It's it, just- that's the whole part for me is to let it happen whenever creatively. it happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. And oh, what about a cleaning routine? Um, nope, that's spontaneous too. Okay. Oh, actually, there's one thing. I give myself a gift of having a clean kitchen every morning. So before I go to bed, 
my counters and sink is clean. So oh, that when I, I wake up, counters. yeah, when I wake up, I like to come into a clean to make the coffee kitchen. And all. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. is a beautiful gift to yourself. You're always, mm-hmm. you're never like, oh, I wish I hadn't cleaned the counter last night. Like I wish <laughs> I had left it. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, I do. And when I, I feel it, when I leave the house, I used to be very strict and I would like, if I had to go to work, I would like empty the coffee maker rub, right. and like sweep. And now I feel like I don't need to do all my dishes all at once all the time. But when I come back from being out and I see that everything's clean, I'm like, oh, that was a nice thing to do for myself. Yeah. Um, but your place was clean, but you're yeah. not fanatical. You don't no, have a certain day or anything. It's no. just like whenever. But it's like really a it. great motivation when I have friends coming over mm-hmm. or guests. Mm-hmm. That helps me clean. And you do fairly regularly, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I clean regularly. Never gets out of Yeah, control. Airbnb. I had Airbnbs for a little while right. and it really did teach me how to clean. Oh, surgical. It, it, yeah, it yeah. pushed me to another level that I started to enjoy. And so... I can't enjoy mess as much as I used to. Right. Yeah. Overlook it. But mm-hmm. it helps with the like the yeah. sensitivity and the mind. Like I used to be able to tolerate mess. And the, yeah, it's almost like once you notice, you can't not notice. Like once. Exactly. Yeah. And I find that like have, having a beautiful space to be in mm-hmm. calms me down so mm-hmm. much. And I put so much effort into making my home lovely, lovely and beautiful mm-hmm. that I want to enjoy that. So, yeah. you know, I, I am a clean yeah. person now I can I can stamp that on me yeah yeah there you go yeah that's great I might not wash my windows as much oh. but I'm but you know I always say windows are like a bikini wax like it really <laughs> doesn't last that long you're so pleased and then you're like oh <laughs> and I could also say you know for all the birds because I live yeah. in the woods maybe if my windows were too oh, clean they just they would not they, yeah they, I never I've seen it happen yeah. they come flying into the okay. glass. So. And that's why a screen is good yeah. too. Or, or you put little stickers okay. on your oh, window. Okay. So life-saving not to do your windows. Windows are a commitment. I yeah. do love to do my windows. I haven't had problems with the birds. But yeah, no. I find it doesn't last that much anyways no. in the city. Uh, so cleaning routine. And then if there's one thing that you could change about the world, yeah. do you have anything? Monsanto. Okay, good. Yeah. The eradicator. Mm-hmm. That would be my favorite thing, Okay, I think. Yeah. You know, that was the one thing has irritated me this all these years of yeah yeah. the the seeds Mm -hmm. you know manufacturing seeds that can't reproduce yeah that's fucked up yeah yeah that's really fucked up yeah owning the seeds of the world yeah that's dark fuck monsanto yeah there's a lot of things to worry about now or however oh is it okay some german company bought it but that's my they're my least favorite people because i think that genetically modifying seeds is like that's the most fucked up thing you can do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. All right. So now I think we're going to take a little pause and then we're going to sing a song. Okay. So okay. Don't worry. It's going to be two seconds. So that'll be fun. I'm just going to get my ukulele. Okay. We'll be right back. Okay. We're back. And the song is the Somewhere Over the Rainbow, but the creative, I mean, the Hawaii version, the guy <laughs> with the long name that starts with a K. Oh yeah, he died. He did. That's so sad. He was so cute. It was really charming. So, um, Maha, no, uh, Bean is a Karmaha. She is a she is a seasoned singer. So as okay, but my guests are good. (laughs) So you get close to the mic, and I will get far away. And we didn't. You everybody sing along while you're listening, and um, yeah. 
It's a it's a crowd pleasing song. Okay, so let's see how we do. Yeah, we'll don't see. judge me too much. No. Don't expect some great singer. I mean, no. being in a choir She's... is means that you're very comfortable singing along and not being heard. Yeah, but you know, I think you have a pretty voice. Oh, thank and, you. Um, All right, this we'll song is shot. just about. I mean, it's a happy thing. Yeah, it's this is happy. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's do this. Sing along, everybody. You ready? So. I'll do a little intro. Just when we nod, we'll start. I okay, guess. okay, okay, okay. guarantee it it uh, happens every time uh so this has been a joy and a blast uh do you have anything else to add you want no to know? i'm really happy to do this i've always kind of been curious about the world of podcasts yeah, and well, trying it out so i'm stoked to this is a new world in. yeah, yeah it well it was a delight to have you and then what do you know your instagram <laughs> yeah being nunnerly okay yeah okay nunnerly is a weird word but i don't think there's many like me so you'll see me no underscores okay no. we'll put you in the show notes look out for the artwork alley and the beanie alley beanie alley <laughs> and yeah so look out for monsanto and take care of your little brain and your heart thank you yeah. thank you and uh those of you who are using weed for your mental health just stay awake be careful that it's not getting really hard and yeah yeah try not to depend on it so much yeah use substances with caution Please. and yeah you know be vulnerable and brave yes exactly yeah you're not as scary as you think you are <laughs> that's great okay thank you so much thanks okay. everyone for listening and we'll see you on the other side hi everybody it's erica and welcome to the very brief fact checking component of episode six 
So in case someone was looking to write a Wikipedia article about Bean, somebody should, why not? So she was born not in Wales. She was born in England. So we were close, but not quite. So yeah, she was born in England and now her family's in Wales. And that's the end of the fact checking component for episode six. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Hooray, so we did it. Another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Bean for her generous sharing and vulnerability. Uh, Vulnerability is definitely super sexy. Never forget it. And so, yes, what else can I say? Uh, This is Your Strange and Beautiful Life is an independent podcast. And so if you would like to sponsor the show in really any capacity, please get in touch. I'm on Instagram at erica.j.schmidt, or you can get in touch with me via my website, ericajschmidt.com. Thank you so much to my darling big sister, Tess Levitt, who helped me refine the inspiration for the show. Thank you to the delightful and charming Sherwin Tija of Sherwin's Quirky Events. Uh, Sherwin is my creative and technical advisor and most cherished friend. Thank you to the dearly departed Eileen Gunn, my aunt, whose generous gift has allowed me to purchase uh, my podcast equipment. Thank you to all my fans and listeners. Thank you for sharing this episode with all your favorite peeps. And yes. Oh, and then the other thing I wanted to say is if you have a listener question, like any kind of quandary or dilemma, it can be juicy and dramatic, but it can also be a little bit mundane. Whatever is driving you nuts and you need a second opinion or some compassion or insight on, please send that to me on Instagram again or via my website. Or, you know, if you're my friend, you just like text me or something. Your identity is safe with me and I really love the listener questions. So please send your listener questions And I think that's all for now. And well, I can't wait for the next episode. I can't wait to see you on the interwebs or in the neighborhood. And big love to Maxine, because I know you listen all the way to the end every time and it means everything. Okay, big love to you. Talk to you soon. Be kind and gentle to yourself. And hey, let's sing the song again. You ready? Just join in loud and proud wherever you are. This is your strange and beautiful life okay thanks again for listening everybody love you bye